0: So we are uh, in July, and July is our prayer series. Every year we just have a month where we focus on prayer in our messages. And this year we're focusing on the prayers in Luke. And one of the things about the Gospel of Luke is that there is actually a significant emphasis on prayer, particularly uh, Jesus' prayers. There are seven particular occasions or passages that are unique in Luke about Jesus' prayer life that aren't found in any of the other gospel accounts. Uh, One of those places was at his baptism in Luke 3, and it says, As Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So when Jesus prayed in this incident, he heard the love of his Father. And then when the intensity of Jesus' fame uh, from healing spread and the ministry demands increased, Luke 4 says at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And so here we find that Jesus went out. He was in a very busy mode, but here he found strength when he prayed. And then in Luke 6, it says that he chose 12 disciples. And Luke says that, Jesus spent the night praying to God about which ones he was to choose. And so we find that while Jesus prayed, God gave him wisdom and guidance when he prayed. You know, Jesus, he found love. He found strength. He found wisdom. He found courage when he prayed. Jesus found sustaining, empowering grace when he prayed. It's almost like Jesus had to pray to make it through. Well, there was nothing almost about it. Jesus was compelled to pray. He needed to pray. Prayer was more important to Jesus than food and sleep. Prayer for Jesus was spiritual oxygen. Prayer was his essential core lifeline for life and power to fulfill his mission. Now, it's most natural for pastors like me, which I have done in the past, to now say, It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That if Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, full of wisdom and power and grace, desperately needed to pray, what does that say about you and me, imperfect, often self-absorbed, weak, mentally and spiritually challenged sinners? (laughs) How much more do you and I need to pray? And you might Nod your heads and say, Yes, pastor, I need to pray more. Why, I just feel like such a loser Christian. What is wrong with me? And we feel guilty for some time, and we might even be goaded to pray more. And our practice of prayer is the easiest thing for believers to feel guilty about. But Jesus never used guilt tactics to motivate his disciples to pray. There is only one occasion where Jesus corrected his disciples for not praying. Now it is at the Mount of Olives the night before his crucifixion. And we'll consider that passage next week. But Jesus never beat his disciples into submission and obedience by using guilt tactics. He did correct and rebuke and speak truth but it was always in the context of a secure love relationship. Jesus was always building up his disciples to encourage them in their faith. Jesus was always cultivating their appetite for the kingdom, always expanding their senses for the eternal. One of the principles of good writing is don't tell me, show me. Help me feel what you are saying. Bring me into the experience. Paint the picture for me. And uh, I think Kelly Zephyr talked about painting the picture in the opening song. We have five senses. And so Jesus knew that eternal things were more often caught than taught, and prayer was one of those things. Try to imagine Jesus in your kitchen, and he's baking homemade chocolate chip cookies with real geodellic chocolate chips, and he pulls a hot tray of cookies out, and he says, here, taste this, Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, "Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. In this passage, Jesus is taking taking the opportunity to teach his disciples about prayer. And contained here is the popular prayer that we have heard in many ways and have recited in many uh, worship services or in our Christian lives. The other place where this prayer or the form of this prayer is found is in Matthew 6 where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And before that uh, prayer teaching, it was before a whole multitude of disciples, but Jesus' focus in teaching that prayer was in the context of don't be like uh, the babblers who are repeating vain repetitions. He was basically teaching them that authentic prayer is not about the repetition of words, of heartless formalism. But here, Jesus gives this core prayer in an intimate setting with his small group, Of disciples and 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 it's not exactly the same words. Jesus doesn't want mechanical repetition. The occasion here was that a disciple, it says, uh, saw Jesus praying and when he had finished, the disciple noted that Jesus prayed and he asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, like John's disciples. Obviously, Jesus had a habit of going off by himself and praying. And it was clear to this particular disciple that this this time was not just uh, something that was uh, an option for Jesus. This was absolutely essential. Jesus came back from those times with fresh energy, with fresh insights, and with fresh sense of fulfilling his mission, and he noticed that. He said, I need that. I want that. I want what Jesus has. I need to be taught how to pray. And so Jesus followed up with his disciple, and he made this as a teaching moment for all of his disciples, and he begins to teach them uh, this prayer. But the emphasis, as you look at this passage, is not on the content so much of this prayer, although it's extremely important. But the emphasis here is on the object of their prayer and the relationship to God in their prayer. And so Jesus calls them here to bold praying. And we see here a radical address, a bold flow, an audacious approach. And when, and he says in, to them, When you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Say, Father. This opening word, Father, indicates the attitude in which prayer should be offered to God. Um, That when we think about God in our prayer, we should think of him as a Father, as one who is near us in love and mercy. At the same time, he is highly exalted in heaven. Father in heaven. We had heard a passage from Galatians where... Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Another place in Romans 8, uh, it talks about that we have received the Spirit of adoption. And with our Spirit, we are children of God and we cry, Abba, Father. This term is uh, a very radical term, it is not something that was used by others. Before Jesus came, this kind of discussion or talking or dressing of God was not a common thing. Uh, I was uh, in Turkey uh, some years ago, uh, Izmir, and I remember waking up early in the morning and there was an elderly man with uh, beads, 99 beads, and he was going through the names of Allah in in his beads. Uh, And and there are many names of Allah. There's 99 names of Allah, the All-Beneficent, the Most Merciful, the King, the Sovereign, the Most Holy, the Peace and Blessing, the Almighty, the Powerful. And I believe that many of these are appropriate titles for for God. But they said that there is a hundredth name that nobody knows. Uh, But they keep repeating all of these various names in the Hadith it says about the names of God, Verily, there are 99 names of God, 100th minus 1. He who enumerates them would get into paradise. Uh, Tim Keller uh, talked about how he went to a, uh, a meeting in a mosque where he was addressing and speaking to a group of Muslims and an Islamic speaker about the fatherhood of God. And the leader said, You may never, ever, ever call God Father. You don't have the right to do that kind of familiarity, and intimacy is absolutely inappropriate for such a great one, meaning it is absolutely inappropriate for that kind of relationship. Jesus Christ was the first one who called God Father, but he turns now to his disciples, and he says, when you pray, Pray, Father, Father. Of course, we kind of pull back a little. We say, Well, I can understand Jesus. You know, he's the incarnate Son of God, you know, the perfect, beloved Son of God. And of course, he has this particular kind of relationship with God as his Father, and he can use those kinds of intimate, personal uh, uh, pronouns. But here, Jesus says, No says, when you speak to God, you are to call him Father. And so the first word that we are to think about when we think about God in our prayers is Father. Father. And that is an amazingly radical thing. If your prayers are boring, it's probably because you don't realize who you're praying to. <laughs> uh, you don't recognize who it is that has your ear. Or you, who you have as, as as his ear, it is clear that God wants us to come to Him as beloved children, and that is the emphasis. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. uh, First John three says, and so as we think about it, we need to think about how do we perceive God in our prayers. This word, by the way, this Abba Father, the Jews had a particular uh, terminology that they used uh, rightly addressing God. They thought they could use Abbi, which is my father, or Ab, Abba New, which is our father. But these were more formal titles. And Jesus uses the ordinary, intimate, familiar form which children use in speaking in Hebrew families, which are still used today, as they address their earthly fathers, Abba, Daddy. I I have had a hard time trying to get my head around calling God, Daddy. But when you hear this word, Abba, Father, that's that's really what it is, Daddy. And you could probably have a t-shirt and it says, my dad is the greatest dad in the world. (laughs) And it's true. And you have that kind of dad. Now, you might have an earthly dad who's been broken, who has been distracted, who has been you know, abusive. You might have all kinds of imperfect dads, but you have a perfect father. You have a perfect daddy, and he loves you. And so Jesus opens this radical terminology to think about as we pray to God. And then he gives this bold flow. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who has indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I mean, it's a rather quick flow, but it's a very radical flow. This Father that we have has a kingdom. And the first prayer request is that he would be hallowed, that he would be worshiped, that he would be ignored, adored, that we would give him the worship that he is doing, that the world would give him the worship that he is doing. You know, one of the things that as we gather here every Sunday, this is the first day of the week, and we worship God, this is an ordering of our lives. This is an ordering of our hearts, that we might have that order, that God would be hallowed in our lives, in our week, He would be the first affection, our first thought. And so we come together to reorder our lives towards Him. And so, this aspect of God, and we don't have time to go through each one of these, and it would be easy to have a full sermon on each one of those particular things, but we're not going to be able to do that. But this God, He has a kingdom. This Father, He has a kingdom. And the second thing is, Thy kingdom come, Your kingdom come. Uh, And that is a request that his kingdom would expand, because we recognize that in this world there is a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of deception, a kingdom that seeks to destroy hearts and lives. And we see that here in Baltimore, and we see that in the world. But God has a kingdom of light, and he is using his children of light to spread that kingdom. I remember back in the 80s when our church was trying to address these issues is trying to be a reconciling church and crossing divides across race and class. And I remember having discussions with various pastors, and it was just an aberration. This kind of church that you're in right now was just an aberration. It was, oh, that's a nice thing that you're doing. But it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it, may, it might work in heaven, you know. But it's not going to work here on earth. And they were very convinced that that was just the nature of life and and church on this side of heaven. But when you pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you are praying that God use me to do everything I can to have your dominion here as it is in heaven. You cannot pray that prayer without working for that cause. Uh, it's been a, a great blessing to have uh, Roy and Cindy here, and, and the friendship that we've had over many years. They, they became part of Faith Christian Fellowship back in 1984. Uh, Roy uh, became the chief of, of resident of surgery at Union Memorial Hospital, uh, which is like a five-year track after you, you get your doctor, doctoral. Uh. Anyhow, uh, he and Cindy are here on the, the left, this, is, this picture must have been taken about nineteen eight ninety-one, I believe. Uh, and they're holding their firstborn child, I believe, Anna. And, uh, and I think this was maybe the last Sunday that they were with us, or close to it, because right after this, they moved to Zambia, where uh, he practiced medicine uh, for about three or four years on the mission field. I just asked him about that. I said, "Didn't you get like sick?" Didn't you, he, yeah, he got malaria. Everyone in his family, and he had two more children, uh, Ruth and and uh, R.D., uh, and they all got malaria in the mission field. And you know, that was just, you know, he just kind of just said it. You know, they just put their lives on the line, and it was an honor that uh, they have been part of our, our, our body and continue to, to serve and seek God's kingdom. And so we're just very grateful that you're here with us today, and you brought your team from Cumberland. Thank you. But when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, this is something that is not just a theoretical thing. This is something that we are seeking to apply in reality. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we, we find this source of uh, what's been called inexhaustible enlightenment. Uh, it's a perfect prayer. Uh, and Even though the words are somewhat different from the Matthew 6 version, those are the notes that we are to bring to God in, the, in, in a kind of ordering of our lives uh, before the kingdom. Uh, it's not to be just a mechanical ceremonial formality, but in, those, in that prayer, the Lord's Prayer is the essence of what, how we are to bring our prayers to God in public and as, as well as private worship. But the final thing is an audacious approach. Audacious approach, and so Jesus, right after he gives us instructions about how to pray, he goes into two parables, two parables, uh, one that addresses this aspect of a friend who has uh, on a long journey, and he you know back then uh, they would often journey at night because it 's so hot during the day now it 's hot outside. you can imagine that if you 're going to travel and you don 't have air conditioning it 's best if you can do it at night, so oftentimes. And, of course, there wasn't cell phones, uh, and, and mail was a long, you know, it took, maybe you couldn't communicate. And so you would just drop in, and you would drop in at night. And so you'd drop in at night, and you're, you know, hospitality is a high, high value in that uh, Eastern culture. And so they're looking to provide some sustenance for their friends who have just come from a visit. So this neighbor goes next door, just like you would hopefully do, And you say, listen, my friend has come from a long journey. I have nothing to set before him. Can you lend me three loaves of bread? And inside, you hear the voice, go away. We're asleep. The door is locked. My family and I are in bed. Don't bother us now. Go away. And the friend says, he's not taking no for an answer. He keeps knocking. He keeps yelling, you know, you see the lights going on in the neighboring houses, and, you know, you don't want to be the reputation of being a stingy neighbor. Eventually, after pursuit and and, uh, his boldness and persistency, the neighbor gets up and gives him this lift. Now, what's Jesus trying to say to uh, his disciples? He's saying, You don't have a neighbor like that in God. (laughs) You don't have a friend like that in God. Even though he is his friend and his neighbor, he won't get up. He says because of his importunity, because that word means brashness, shamelessness, uh, brazenness. He is barging through to get what he wants. He says because of that, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so what we find here is that Jesus is saying, you don't have a God who will stay asleep, who will tell you to go away. You have a Father who is ready and willing to get up and give you everything that you need. And so Jesus is making a comparison. But then, and then, and then he says, so ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. He's saying, and these are continual, active verbs that keep coming after me, keep coming after me. I am not that kind of neighbor. I am ready and willing. I, the door is open for you. And then he says about the father. He says, what of you fathers who has a, a child who asks for a bread would give him a stone? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a serpent? Who, you know, he's not going to give him a, a serpent McMuffin. He's asking for an egg McMuffin. You don't have that kind of father. And he's making these contrasts. You, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your, to your children. And he says, you who are evil, you who are evil. If you know how to love your children in the midst of all of your mess, God, the perfect Father, oh, he, he is so ready. He is so ready to bless. And the whole focus of this teaching on prayer The whole focus is that you have a Father who wants your prayers. You have a Father who wants your boldness. He wants you to come in his presence. Uh, There uh, there was a guy, Jack Miller, he was a pastor of New Life Church, uh, and he also helped form uh, World Harvest Mission, which is now Surge, I believe. Uh, He's with the Lord now, but he talked about when the— in his book the outgrowing the ingrown church that he said he describes two prayer meetings and he says he was the last remaining member of the first one he says it was over he had killed it <laughs> ten years later a Wednesday evening prayer meeting was the life of the church in an outreach to the community and he said why is the difference and he said for one Uh, He realized, after previously relying on his mind, learning, and hard work, he said, Increasingly, I saw myself as a desperately needy person, like the man who goes to his friend at midnight and says, I have nothing. Miller began to pray like this man, with shameless boldness, for God's work in those prayer meetings. And as far as the people at the meeting, they expected God to work in their lives. What about God? Miller says the king was present moving, working and leading. It was his meeting. He was graciously he had graciously chosen to be present and to glorify himself by changing us and answering our prayers. And so there was a revolution. People became attracted to prayer. You know, one of the great things about this passage is this was attractional prayer teaching. You know, Jesus is out praying in the morning. He's getting the attention of his disciples. He wants to show the wealth and the grace that is here. And they're asking, teach us to pray. We want in on this. Jack Miller gave this other illustration about this woman uh, who was in his church and he had met with her for a period of six months to try to coach her to how to how to express her faith so she'd become a member of the church. And he kind of felt like maybe he just like gave her the words to say so that she could join the church. Well, she joins the church, and then she, she, uh, she got vertigo, which is dizziness, and she couldn't come to church, and she wasn't coming to church, and so he started to visit her weekly, and he would pray with her. And he would pray with her weekly. And one week, uh, Emma is the lady's name. She said, Pastor, do you know you come and pray for me every week, but I never, ever get better? And Jack Miller said, well, you know, Emma, that's true. And uh, Miller, with kind of a bit of cockiness, said, walking out the door. And he had a big laugh. And he says, Emma, you don't pray loud enough. And he walks out, laughing. And he came back the next week forgetting that comment. And when he came to the house, she was full of praise. Well, what's going on here, Emma? Well, I'm getting better. I can now walk to the bathroom. Well, Emma, okay, well, that's, that's great. I'm praising the Lord, too. I'm glad for that. Well, what's going on? Well, what I am so glad when I pray that Jim and my daughter, uh, who live at the other end of the house, uh, they can't hear me when I pray. Oh, okay, Come, run that by me again. Well, last weekend when you were here, you walked out the door with that hearty laugh and said, I didn't pray loud enough. Well, after you said that, I said to myself, you know, he's right. So ever since then, I've been shouting, (laughs) and every time I pray, I get an answer, and she was radiant. She could hardly keep in her seat, and he says, I suspect she finally got converted with a good, loud yell from the depths of her heart to the Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and she was a different person. And she got up in church, and she gave a testimony. She was 75 years young, and she was crying and laughing, and people were crying. She said, don't cry because I am so happy. I just want you to have the same happiness that I have. You know, you have that kind of father who wants you to come to him. But sometimes we're not convinced that he's really there, or that he really loves us, or that he is listening to us. We don't barge into his presence. We're in, we have some sense of timidity when we come to God. And that's why Hebrews reminds us over and over again to come to the throne with boldness and with confidence. Uh, one of the things I, I've appreciated about my children, although I have, had to correct them uh, <clears throat> when they were younger, uh, Juliana, after church, she would just come up to me. If I might be talking to any number of people, And she won't say, excuse me. She'll just barge in and just start talking to me. Now, the other folks around, they kind of humored her, recognized that she had access to me. You know, and that was all right. And I remember when our study was in here and Calvin would come, and he would just like barge right into my office. He didn't knock on the door. He just pushed the door through because he knew he had access. You have access. You have access to the greatest throne the Greatest Father who is madly in love with you. Do you know that? And so I prayed. I said, Lord, what do do these people need to hear today? They don't need to hear that they need to pray more and to feel guilty about how they're not praying more. They need to know the vast treasures that are awaiting them. And so this is what I kind of heard. I want my children to come and talk to me, to listen to me, to know I love them, want them, have always loved them. And in my wrath against their sins, I was merciful through my son while they were enemies. I went after them and pursued them in their darkness. My son, I gave for them the same love I have for my only beloved son. I now have for them through faith. I would tell them I am so glad to see them, to listen to their cries and to share my secrets of the kingdom. I am doing great things in the world, and I am moving my kingdom forward in the darkness. My light is dispelling the darkness, and I am using my children of light to do this. Tell them no ear has heard, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what I have prepared for them. Tell them that I love them with an everlasting love. Tell them to fight the orphan lies, that I am angry with them, don't want them, that they are too sinful, too far gone. Tell them I am not that kind of friend who is asleep in bed with locked doors. Tell them my door is always open for them, that I am always up and even while they sleep. I am watching over them, adoring them. I delight over them with singing. I have songs for them in the night when they feel anxious about so many things. Tell them to ask and seek and knock, and to keep asking and seeking and knocking for the things of my kingdom. They will be surprised how I will answer. Tell them I delight to answer their prayers. Their cries and yearnings are most precious to me. Their suffering and faith is so precious I will treasure it for eternity. Tell them there is an eternal weight of glory that supersedes their dark nights. And tell them to be bold in coming to me. I love it when they barge into my presence like they have rights to me. Oh, I love it so much because it says they really get it and they are showing faith in my Son. Tell them whatever affections and dreams and desires of goodwill and blessings they have for their own children are but a dim reflection of my passion and pure love for them. Tell them they are free. They can't do any amount of good to increase my love for them. They can't do anything so wrong to decrease my love for them because my love for them is not based on them. It is based on me and my perfection of my son who they believe. Tell them they have my peace. They can rest. Tell them they have a Father who is crazy in love with them. Tell them to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage about prayer. We thank you that, Jesus, you modeled uh, this before your disciples. You didn't beat them over the heads because they weren't praying enough. You just prayed. and You prayed for them, and you showed them how valuable prayer was. God, I pray that you would uh, expand our hearts to see this treasure that we have. We pray, I pray, that you would help us to see how beloved we are by the Father, and that we have that same love, Jesus, that the Father has for you. Lord, that is so impossible for us to comprehend, but Lord, it is true. Your word is true. And so, God, help us to live in that. God, transform us so that this community of Penn Lucy could be transformed in Baltimore, Uh, even through us as weak vessels. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.